Before we begin our study tonight, let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word and for your people who've gathered here tonight, Lord. We realize the importance of a study like this, Lord, because quite frankly, very few would even take the time to analyze a subject like hell. And I pray that you would bless those who do that, and I pray that those who listen to it will be stimulated to share the truth with other people so that they will not end up here. They'll believe on the Lord and be saved. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're examining the biblical facts that have been revealed in the scriptures about hell. It's a place of torment. We said that. It's a place of agony. Those two words combined mean we're talking here about a place of torture, suffering of both body and mind. The language that is used by the Lord Jesus Christ to describe this is just horrible. It's very, very painful, and he wants the words to express that. It's a place of real consciousness. People have a real consciousness of the fact that they are in hell. They remember things. Their mind works. They realize we're in pain. We're experiencing pain. They have memories of their family. They have memories of the life that they lived before the Lord. They can even remember good things that they received in life from God, and yet they did not have a relationship with him. They also realize they're in a place that they can't escape. They realize that if people don't get right with the Lord, these are people that are in hell tonight. They realize if people don't get right with the Lord, they're coming to this place, and they're thinking about their relatives. They don't want them to come to this place. They realize once they're there, they're never going to escape. It's a place of darkness, the language that's used to describe hell. It's a place of total darkness with absolutely no light whatsoever. That's the language that's used to describe it. It's a place where people weep and gnash their teeth. It's a rapid rate that takes place there. It's a place of torment forever and ever. And the stress of that forever and ever means there's never a chance of anything ever changing. It is a place that there's no rest either day or night. There's no relaxing of the hell existence. There's no relief from the torture or the pain or the fire. That's what that would express to us. There's got to be nothing there that will ever refresh somebody. It's a place of fire, and the language used to describe the fire is just horrible. It's unquenchable fire. It's a furnace. It's an eternal fire. It's the lake of fire, so there are obviously perimeters to this, like a lake or furnace where it's burning. And it's a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which means there's a chemical type of burning that's taking place there. Now, I would encourage you, because every once in a while, you'll hear someone in kind of a slang way say, this is as hot as hell, or this is hotter than hell. And if you ever hear somebody say that, say, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. There is no place hotter than hell. There's no place as hot as hell. The language that's used to describe the fiery existence that takes place in hell is the hottest type of language that can ever be expressed. So if you are in a position to share truth with someone who presents that idea, say, oh no, no, there's nothing hot on this earth that even comes close to the description in the Bible of how hot hell is going to be. It's a place of black darkness. It's a place of everlasting disgrace and shame. The people who are in hell 
are going to be people that are living with shame forever and ever and disgrace forever and ever. And it's interesting because many of the people that will end up burning in hell are people who are very prominent people in this world, but they would not humble themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to live in an eternal disgrace and shame. It's a place of everlasting contempt. It's a place of eternal destruction, which indicates it's a place of death and destruction. There's no restoration or reconstruction that's ever going to take place, a place of destruction. No improvement will ever take place for one there. It's a place that does not have the presence of God. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And then we said it's a place that does not have any reflection of God's glory. That's where we left off last time. Now, the 15th revealed fact about hell is that it is a place of complete judicial abandonment by God. It's a place of complete judicial abandonment by God. I want to have you go to a couple of passages of Scripture. The first one's in Matthew chapter 7, if you would go over there. And then one that we looked at last time would be 2 Thessalonians. So I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians, if you would, as well. So we'll go Matthew chapter 7. I want to point out the grammar here of verse 23. This is the Lord talking about what judgment will be like. And he says in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's the phrase I want you to see. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this is the sentencing that is taking place for one at judgment who is being condemned to hell. And the words that I want to point out are the words, depart from me. Because those are words that would indicate you are going from where I'm at. You are going to actually leave my presence and you're going to be abandoned by me. You're departing from me. Now, I want you to compare that to the statement that's made by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Because we read here, well, let's start at verse 8 in 2 Thessalonians. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So one of the things that hell will be will be a place where they are away from the presence of the Lord. Now God is able to put restrictions on himself that only he can put on himself. For example, we know in the book of Titus that God cannot lie. That's a restriction that God has put on himself, being a holy God. He cannot lie. The statement, can God do anything? Yes, he can do anything with the exception of those things that he's deemed that he can't do or won't do. He won't do that and he can't do that. And that's one of them. God cannot lie. Now, when he says you're going to be sentenced away from the presence of God, what it would seem to me we learn from this is that God has deemed that his presence is not going to be in hell. In other words, there'll be nothing there of his presence that will exist in hell. Obviously, his omniscience means he knows about hell, but he can put a restriction on his omnipresence in the sense that he can regulate it and say, I'm not going to be in that place. So God is basically revealing to us here by the statement of the Lord Jesus Christ and also by the statement of Paul concerning this place 
that he's revealing to us that one person who's going to go to hell is going to be there, and once they're there, they are no longer in the presence of God. They're completely abandoned by God. It's part of the judicial hell existence. They are completely abandoned by God. And just like we know about hell, and we're not in hell, God knows about hell. He designed hell. His presence isn't going to be in hell. His presence will be with those that are not in hell. So what we would say is hell is a place where a person is judicially abandoned by God. Now the 16th fact is it is a place of no mercy. No mercy. I would like you to go to Luke 16. Luke 16. And we've already kind of seen this before. But this is where the rich man says in verse 24, and he cried out and said, Father Abram, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in agony in this flame. And obviously the conclusion is, no, we're not going to have mercy on you. Your chance to experience the mercy of God, your chance to experience the grace of God is gone. Now, in any time frame of existence, there is the potential that someone could experience the grace and mercy of God. So someone could be in a desperate situation. In fact, most people who experience the grace and mercy of God come to realize they're in some type of desperate situation, at least in their sin status. So in any other type of existence, a person could experience the grace and mercy of God. In fact, that's what we tell people that we talk to, turn to the Lord, believe in the Lord, experience his grace, experience his mercy, experience his forgiveness. He'll take away your guilt. Once a person is in hell, there is no potential or possibility for that person ever to experience the grace or mercy of God. It's gone. It's over. Now is the accepted time for people to believe in the Lord because once they leave this earth, they are not in a position anymore to experience the mercy of God because hell is a place of no mercy. It's not going to let up. It'll be relentless. There'll be no relief. There'll be no loosening of the flame or lessening of the flame. There'll be absolutely no mercy. Now again, we've never seen or lived in our lifetime in any situation that did not come under the mercy or grace of God in some capacity. God has allowed the sun to rise on the good and God's allowed the sun to rise on the evil. So even the good and the evil in this life have the opportunity to experience something of the grace and the mercy of God. A person in hell has no opportunity to experience anything of the grace and mercy of God. The 17th revealed fact is this is a place that has worms that do not die. Now I'd like you to go to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 and verse 48, Mark 9 and verse 48, here's what we read, starting at verse 47, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out, for it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, where the worms do not die would indicate if a worm isn't going to die, nothing's going to die. And that's the point of this. Nothing is going to die that's in hell. And everybody in hell are going to want to die. 
If you're burning in hell and you have no possibility of experiencing the grace and mercy of God, you would just want to die. You're not going to die. A person who's in hell is never going to die. And there's a glimpse of kind of that very thing in Revelation chapter 9. If you'd go over to Revelation chapter 9 for just a second. And in Revelation chapter 9, and we saw this when we went through this particular section of Scripture in the tribulation, but in Revelation chapter 9, we saw that things are going to be so difficult in the tribulation period that people are going to want to die. And in verse 6, we read, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. That's what hell's going to be like. Only you're burning in fire. You're burning in fire. There's no presence of God. There's no glory of God. There's no grace of God. There's no mercy of God. You're in total darkness. You're going to want to die. And nothing in hell dies. It just continues to experience this horrible punishment that is inflicted on those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the 18th fact is it's a place that features dark pits. I'd like you to go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment... The word here for dark pits, and it's plural, is a word that is used to describe a deep, dark, gloomy place. I don't even know how it's a different word than the black darkness. All I can say from looking at this is this must be an aspect of hell. Apparently, it's where demons are because we learn that in verse 4. When those angels sinned, they were cast into pits of darkness. So this must be dark, gloomy pits, plural, that are these places of punishment. And again, the emphasis is on the darkness, no light. Now, the 19th fact is it's a place that apparently does have entrance gates. Now, I want to talk about that for just a minute and stretch you a little bit on this point. I'd like you, first of all, we're going to go to Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 18. And Jesus is talking about the fact that people who believe in him are not going to go to this place. Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he said, you are blessed because you believe that. And then he says, in verse 18 of Matthew 16, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of the testimony, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I want you to see gates of Hades, gates of hell. We could say it that way. Now, having seen that, I want you to go over to Revelation, if you would, chapter 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, we read in verse 18, I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. All right. So apparently, what we have here is we have, at this point, when Christ has been raised from the dead, he has the keys of the entrance into Hades, and apparently there are gates because it's referred to by Christ two times, once in Matthew and once again it's referred to here in the book of Revelation, apparently there must be some type of entrance gates into this place of Hades. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ descended, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, when the Lord Jesus Christ descended and made a display of himself 
At that point, this gets into some possibilities. He goes down and he makes a display of himself to the Hades group from the Abraham side group. That's the way I understand this. He descends into Abraham's bosom and makes a triumphant display of himself for those spirits that are in, I would say, the lower chamber of Sheol. He's in the Abraham bosom side making a display of himself. It's kind of like when the rich man was able to look up and he says, I see Father Abraham and send someone back here that can come and help my brother send someone back. Remember that? He looks up and he sees that. They probably looked up and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at that point, we can assume, because we don't know prior to then that he has these keys. We can assume by the time you get to Revelation, after the cross, he obviously at some point gets the keys to Hades, the potential of actually looking up anymore and actually seeing Abraham's bosom side, I don't know if it exists anymore. When he got the keys to Hades, it's very conceivable he locks the door. He locks the door. So they no longer, he displays himself as the glorious son of God who paid the price that made it possible for them to have a relationship with God. They rejected him and then as a result of that, I don't know as he lets them look up anymore and see anything after he goes to the cross, after he displays himself, because that would kind of be a little bit less if you're looking up seeing Abraham when the Lord Jesus Christ himself just appeared to you down there. Which brings us to the 20th fact. It's a place to which one descends down and not ascends up. Now, there's some discussion about where is this hell? Well, somewhere it's descending down into hell. And I want you to go to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, and you'll notice verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So, what the Lord Jesus Christ did is he descended into the lower parts of the earth, and I'm assuming that's the Abraham's bosom side of Sheol, and he displays himself as the victor, as the one who could connect all of them to God, all of them to God, including the people in Abraham's bosom side. He's displaying himself to that side, that I'm the one that's linking you, giving you the righteousness that's going to connect you to God. And they're seeing that there. He descended and he displayed himself. And it is perhaps at that point, after he's completed that cross work and he's there, where he's getting these keys to Hades and it's all, judgment's all turned over to him. And now he has these keys and he determines who it is that now goes into his presence and who it is that also goes into hell. Also, go back to Matthew chapter 11, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 11. In verse 23, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades for if the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So 
Obviously, where is hell located is some place where people descend into this place. They don't go up into the presence of the Lord. When that spirit leaves that body, a person who goes to hell is descending into hell. That's where they go. For the believer to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, they're going to heaven, which is made clear by New Testament doctrine. The 21st fact is it's a place where spirits are in prison. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 on this. 1 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 19 we read, In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Start at verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So he made a descent. We compare this to what Paul teaches. He makes a descent into the Sheol, I think, upper chamber, and he displays himself to the spirits that are in those places. And he makes a display of himself to the spirits that are in the upper chamber, but then the people that are in the lower chamber in hell can look up and also see him when he's there. Now, I want to have you go to Isaiah chapter 14 for just a second. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, Isaiah 14 is describing, I think, the arrival of Satan into hell. And I base that on the fact that we're getting a description here of something that's going into hell that is way beyond the normal entrance of something into hell. Because you'll notice in verse 7 of Isaiah 14, the whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. So if you have the whole earth at rest, then what you have is Satan's gone. Now I want to start at verse 9. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead all the leaders of the earth, it raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you have been made weak as we, you become like us. Now, I think this is Satan getting cast into hell. And all of the people, and God is going to allow all of the people that are in hell to see this. This is going to be something because they're going to realize this is the one that we followed. This is the one that actually we turned down Jesus Christ for this one. Now, verse 11, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down in Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and they will ponder over you saying, is this the man that made the earth tremble? who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow its prisoners to go home. And so what is going to happen is I think that Jesus Christ is going to allow these people in hell 
to see Satan arriving in hell. I think it's going to be a unique moment of hell when he allows all of these people who are in hell to actually see the arrival of the one who's responsible in many ways for them being in hell. And they're going to look at him and they're going to go, you've got to be kidding me. We're burning in hell forever and ever because of this, and he's going to be equal with them. I mean, in fact, that's interesting. It's brought out that once he's there, he has no higher rank than they have. The text is pretty clear. You become like us. That's what verse 10 says. You become like us. So apparently there's going to be this unique moment where Satan will be seen as he's entering hell. The 22nd fact that's revealed, we've already talked about this, it's referred to as a waterless pit. There's absolutely no water anywhere. There's no water to drink. There's no water to wash. There's not one drop of water that will refresh anyone, not even a mist that one could get to cool anything. Those are 22 revealed facts in the scriptures about hell. That's about as awful and as scary as it could be. It's very accurate in what the Bible teaches. And again, we would just say this. We're not the ones writing this. We're just reporting what God has put and revealed about this place. And any person who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ is going to end up in hell. They're not going to get another chance. They're not going to get out. It'll be forever. Well, Our time is gone for the most part tonight, so I'm going to pause here. We'll get into his attributes, Lord willing, a couple weeks from tonight because Nelson will be here next Wednesday. Any questions or comments? Well, we've got a great text for you planned on the book of Romans this Sunday. Yes? Oh, you have a question? Oh, go ahead, Dinaka. How can we say that God is omnipresent everywhere at the same time? Apparently, on that issue, he puts the determination on himself, I'm not going to be in that place. That's the only answer I can give you on that. It's kind of like when he says, I can't lie. I've put that restriction on myself as God, I can't lie. I can't be in that place of hell. He's putting that restriction on his omnipresence. Yes, Ernie? Find how far away from God are they when he's omnipresent? How far away are they? Because he puts them away from him. He puts them away from his omnipresence. I don't know the answer to the question. And I don't intend to find out. (laughs) I don't know. If you're just one inch away from the presence of God, you're in trouble. But I don't know. I don't know. Wherever this lake of fire, everlasting lake of fire is, that's, that's where they're at. Okay, well, thank you for coming. Good night.